Hey everyone, welcome to Sound Review, the last episode of 2023. And today we have a couple of great topics we'll cover with our speakers here today, with co-host Frida and Carlos. We'll talk about, as usual, AI. And the two biggest AI topics we're going to talk about is Gemini and Grok. Then we'll talk about breaches that we covered previously as well. And we had some updates on Okta and 23andMe. And also, we'll talk about how to stay secure working remotely. And we'll touch on best destinations to work when you work remotely. So we're witnessing the end of the year AI rush. And Google launches Gemini, AI model that hopes to take down ChatGPT. And then also Elon Musk introduces a new chatbot for X, previously known as Twitter, called Grok. And well, according to Elon Musk, this chatbot is going to have a personality. So that's obviously going to be interesting to see. And both of them already faces controversy um, around a couple of interesting things. So we'll cover that into a bit more detail. So let's talk about that AI race that intensifies before the end of the year. And it's interesting how pretty much almost every episode we mention Elon Musk in one way, one way or another. So let's come back to that. Um, so Elon Musk introduced Brock, um, the new chatbot for Platform X, previously known as Twitter. So it's actually very interesting to find out what you guys think as well about about Grok, about how the strength of Grok, and obviously there are a couple contro controversies around that. So one of them is that Grok will be um, rely well instead of relying on fixed data sets compared to other um, AI tools, and it's actually going to be relying on real data from X, which again to me it's a red flag already. I mean, it could be right. And then the other controver big controversy, which probably goes in line with Elon Musk's character, I would say, he's trying to put character to AI, which even according to Elon Musk is saying it's prohibited for ChatGBT. Um, that's probably slightly playful from Elon Musk. But I don't know, what do you guys think? Um, Carlos, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I have been working with machine learning and AI for quite a long time. As every single chatbot that is out there is as good as the data they fit it. So in this case, uh, we all know that X or Twitter, as we also know it, doesn't have the best uh, type of users. So it, of course, is going to get some sarcastic uh, uh, answers because that's how the data we have on Twitter is. So it can be a red flag on that side because also it's extremely political. When you go to, to X and you will see a lot of uh, uh, biased talk, bias everywhere, right, left, center. So Grok could be biased as well. And that's a very big <laughs> red flag for me, at least. Uh, that being said, we need to also understand what is the main goal of uh, either ChatGPT or Gemini or Grok. I mean, because if you are going to use it for work, you don't need it to have a personality. You just want simple, straight answers, and that's it. You don't want the answers to be sarcastic or in a joking manner, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely not. And that is a concern. That's a real possibility with this situation, right? Um, 
as you said, Carlos, the platform does have issues with promoting bias and uh, hate speech and polarizing content. We know social media is not necessarily uh, reputable for being factual, right? Um, so that that yeah, that is a great concern. I would say that's perhaps the number one concern. Number two uh, um, concern I have is uh, security wise. You know the manipulation risks of an attacker because if you know where the data is coming from now and this is easily manipulated, this data. You can just uh, do that. I think um, pretty. It's just going to make your life easier as a hacker. I think. Rita, don't you think that what Elon Musk is doing? He's trying to walk a very thin line between the governance of AI itself, right? How strict it needs to be, and he's trying to make it slightly more controversial. We'll be open to talk about engaging to controversial topics. Uh, potentially even spread misinformation if that 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 data feed is coming from X itself, right? So I think previously we talked about WormGBT and ChatGBT and there's that sort of black and white lines. I think personally it seems like Elon Musk is trying to sort of merge a bit of both properly. What do you think, yeah. Frida? Uh, well, it could be a topic just to discuss alone, you know, in, incorporating emotions into a bot, right? So not only focusing on IQ, but EQ, right? So emotional intelligence. If I were to create such a thing, I don't think I would use X as the source. Yeah, definitely. Especially because as we were discussing before, you don't know where your data is ending up. You don't know what mm. the data is coming from as well. So it could be anything. It could be, as you mentioned, hate speech, or it could actually be a reputable source, but you will never know. And that's the main Absolutely. Exactly. It seems like those safeguards would need to be reduced. Yep. Yeah, for, for uh, X to utilize it uh, efficiently. Yeah, right on. But you, you know what you might know, Carlos, is um, I think, and I'll go to privacy because you know how obsessed I am with privacy concerns. Uh, using real-time data from social media, I feel you can easily identify the, the person, right? Because you don't even need their name necessarily. You just need certain points of information to identify them. And that's all there with this. And we've seen that with other... Um, AI bots so far, right? Uh, there's been a couple of cases where lawyers have, in particular have attempted to sue, ironically, now that I think about it, have attempted to sue um, OpenAI because uh, they've been named <laughs> in, from, from articles and other pieces of information. Uh, I think that's even the sort of the main selling point of Grok, what Elon Musk is claiming to be for X to, sorry, for Grok to rely on real-time data from X. He's advertising as a um, as a unique selling point. It could be argued that could be the pitfall of it itself. Especially because talking about privacy again, anything that you put there is not yours anymore. It's going to be owned by Grok in this case. So you also need to be very careful what you put there. Uh, probably, and then just to probably add for me last bit as well. I think it's a it's a huge commercial move as well, right? Because they, well, Elon Musk is making um, Grok available only for premium plus subscriptions, which um, they are struggling to increase at the moment, and is the most expensive subscription they they have. And Grok is going to be exclusively available only for premium plus subscribers. So <laughs> they're probably uh, probably trying to make sure they get. More subscribers before the end of the year to boost that uh, revenue, um, probably this year. But 
it's probably a very commercial decision. That makes a lot of sense. What about the the other massive um, AI release we having before the end of the year as well uh, with Google and Google's Gemini? So we obviously saw that Gemini is being um, released and utilized internally as well. We hopefully, I mean, we all saw the demo, which again, another controversy that we touch upon um, shortly. But Gemini, they, well, Google is claiming Gemini is going to be the driving force of Google um, artificial intelligence itself in the background. And Gemini, they're going to have multiple tiers. And obviously, the most powerful is going to be Gemini Ultra, which uh, itself, like when it comes to artificial intelligence, now the basic models only rely on text in and text out. And Gemini, um, especially Ultra, is going to be able to process, it talked about uh, videos, it talked about audio pictures, which obviously in the demo seems amazing, right? But uh, how, what we can take away from that? Everyone is trying to sell their product, Grok, JatGPT, Gemini. Uh, of course, they will want to put it in the brightest light they can possibly do. Uh, yeah. So we need to be aware of that. Let's not fall for publicity and it just when it actually comes more available, we should all go and and get our own opinion on them. This year has been all about AI. We've actually seen so much information coming out, all the major players releasing their own, uh, their own artificial intelligence tool of some sort. How do you pick and choose from one and from the other, and especially Gemini claiming they're going to be uh, positioned to compare strongly against uh, ChatGPT and be even stronger? And they released the 32 out of 32 benchmark tests they did. Um, Gemini Ultra came up on top of uh, ChatGPT on 30 out of 32 of those. But personally, after doing some research as well, it seems very difficult to actually find very objective information, which one is stronger, which one is better. So absolutely, Carlos, I think right before we get our hands on it ourselves and compare apples to apples, it'll be very tough to say. Everyone's going to be very biased towards their own artificial intelligence, all saying it's, it's the strongest, it's the fastest, it's the best. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a large task to take all of these AI tools that already exist that do these things separately and put them into one. Uh, but, you know, I believe Google's been around for a while and they they can achieve that to a pretty good level. I think where, you know, this might be unique is they're trying to focus on enterprise-first products with this. And I've noticed this in, uh, you know, my company since I've incorporated uh, Google into our tools. Uh, it has been very helpful so far. So that might be the key difference there. It's not only, a, you know, a personal bot, but now an enterprise-ready product, or they're trying to be. Let's touch on controversy then. Google's been AI-first company for what, what, a good decade now. Um, that's what they claim, and we all know that AI is actually what drives Google's growth as well strongly. But what about that demo? I don't know if you guys seen it. If you if you read controversy around it as well, saying that demo was edited, demo was fake, and and Google obviously didn't even come out um, saying that no, it's real. It so kind of implies that it might have been edited. If you are AI driven first company such, such as Google. And if you have a tool that is powerful as Gemini Ultra, they say, which obviously apparently is supposed to be beating ChatGPT, why would you edit the demo? 
Uh, it's like, for example, when you go to McDonald's, you see all the pictures and they look beautiful and then they get your burger and it's a little bit not as in the picture, you know, it's they're trying to do the same thing. I can. Yeah. And it's totally likely, you know, maybe they, they aren't as fast as the other products. They aren't as robust yeah. or as good. And they are, you know, trying to hide that they're behind in the race and they're Google. They're this big name. They were the original uh, not the original search engine, but they're the search engine that won us over. We, the majority of people still use Google. And so, you know, they're trying to get ahead in this race probably because they feel it's very important to. However, uh, not making any excuses for them, and this might be irrelevant, I have noticed uh, live demos tend to go very wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I think they, like, Elon Musk knows that, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he probably does, right? He has a lot of experience with that. I think that they they learn their mistakes when they're trying to to sell this uh, Google Stadia, this video game mm. console. Yep, it started oh, failing yeah. live, and it was super bad. So, I'm like, you know what? Let's uh, do a little bit makeup here and there, and let's not show the real thing. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it might be a good thing because it seems like Google is creating a, a huge hype around Gemini, but even they came out publicly saying, well, they try not to rush it also. So maybe that's what they need because they probably believe that it could beat ChatGBT or could be better, could be the most powerful AI tool in the market, which knowing Google's background and the type of information they have available, it right. probably can. Yeah. But um, it seems they're trying to be very cautious around the capabilities, how strong it can be, how strong it will be. I think that should be what they need to determine and obviously release as well. And I will say, you know, if they're going to use that database, because we all know what it is, right? It's our it's our searches. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> our information. Exactly. Like we did this. But um, yeah, the 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 again, privacy concerns there, they absolutely will have to have red teams, which again, red teams are essentially just pen testers who come in and make sure that the, the security of the systems is as hardened as it can be, uh, they will absolutely need to do that for continuous improvement, especially as, you know, we're going to talk about uh, the the uh, new information with the 23andMe and Okta breaches. Let's cover a couple of breaches. We previously talked about two big breaches that happened a few months ago, 23andMe and Okta. So recently, a few days ago, we actually got more information that both of those breaches were actually worse than initially claimed by both companies, unrelated. So we covered that into a bit more detail. Um, how does that happen? And can companies ever restore their trust after breaches as such? So let's talk about the breaches then. <laughs> cool. It's very interesting, right? Because we touched on those on, on a, a couple of previous episodes, talking both about Okta and then 23andMe. And, and it seems like to me, that those are very closely related because it seems a lot worse than than both what both companies are claiming it to be, especially with Okta, right? We saw they actually suffered huge losses in terms of stock uh, prices going down as well. And that was actually in light of what they first said, where it actually the breach affected only a handful of customers. And now um, they came back saying that actually all users of its customer support systems being affected. That's actually all users. It's, uh, I mean, huge. We're talking about millions of users with data, right? 
what does that mean in terms of the trust? I think the biggest, for me, the biggest question is the trust of the users, right? How do you gain back uh, the trust of your customers and obviously make sure that your uh, sort of stakeholders can can rely and shareholders can actually rely and obviously investment could keep on going up um, for the company and stock prices are going up. Uh, but then also for me, it goes into the actual uh, huger, uh, well, bigger question itself. So do the companies have a duty of care to be tr fully transparent? And should companies be held accountable for hiding the severity of breaches? Of course, companies will come out and say, well, we were not aware and we needed to do more research, et cetera, et cetera. But what about if there's a proof or at least maybe some sort of backlog of information coming out that the severity was actually outlined already for them, they, they were aware, which uh, I'm obviously, we're not claiming anything, but I'm just saying that there's that possibility that both companies, 23andMe and Okta, for instance, they might've been aware of the severity and they try to underplay it to make sure that the prices don't even plummet, uh, the stock price don't even plummet further. Yeah, I think there are two big, uh, sides to this, both of them bad. <laughs> one on one side, we could say that perhaps they were not aware. She mm -hmm. talks very badly about their cybersecurity practices, uh, how they did all these post-mortem processes, how they tried to fix the problem yeah. that was there. And on the other hand, as you mentioned, perhaps they actually knew and they tried to hide it, which is even worse. So both sides are bad. So it's up to them now to come over and say, you know what? I'm either incompetent of what I'm doing with your data or I'm evil what I'm doing with your data. Both don't promote confidence. Yep. No, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I think that that either of the two must be true, right? It would be weird to do the latter at this point because I feel there was a time, right, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, for instance, Yahoo, I love using that as an example. That was the like first breach where I was like, wow, you know, you took five years to report this. <laughs> no one, no one knew, you know, the whole time. Um, but you can't get away with that anymore. I feel like with the way things that are going with breaches and uh reporting with the SEC too, uh, I I would think you would know as a company that this is eventually going to come out, right? And it it further harms, it ends up harming your reputation much more, right? Than if you were originally honest with the breach, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? If I would say, uh, then yeah, Carlos, to your point, then they they didn't know, right? They didn't do, they didn't have a red team or a pen a pen tester that was expert enough to figure out how large the breach is and how this occurred, right? They're multi-million dollar job. companies. They're multi-million dollar companies. I mean, they could pay yeah. for that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? Because then, because smaller companies won't have that. Like, so I'm, I'm at, I work at smaller startups and I end up being in that role. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that's, that's a risk. <laughs> and larger companies exactly should have this, this team, an expert team to look into stuff. So then the question is, do they not have an internal team that's good enough and they had to hire consultants that are more expert outside and this is how this occurred? Absolutely. It's up to them to decide to, to disclose this or not. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, touching on the other company, 23andMe, actually, Frida, I do have a question for you because when we initially 
talked about 23andMe, uh, what, breach, hack. Uh, we talked about credential stuffing, right? How it all originated from that, which we can touch on that again. But the question for me to you for today is, initially, obviously, it was thought that was a lot lower um, scale itself in terms of the breach. And now, obviously, it came out that the breach, the credential stuffing affected 6.9 million users. And the 23andMe is still coming out and saying that they do not have indication that there has been a data security incident within their system. And they're still claiming that everything happened because of that, of poor password management. And obviously, 6.9 million users got affected through that credential stuffing. So my question is, how is that, I mean, possible with a credential stuffing to affect that many users? Um, and how does that work? How does that is there a possibility that obviously their system had, had, hasn't had a security incident or does that, in terms of the breach of this scale, it would be more likely that there was an incident early as well? To say that there's not been any breach, I think is debatable. But what they're, what they're claiming is that you're using the same password over and over and over again. As, as a user, right? And particularly with a platform like 23andMe, I can see that happening more often just because of the particular user base that you're you're targeting rather than Okta, which I want to hit on next, even though you asked about 23andMe specifically. Uh, so yes, if you don't have MFA set and you're using the same password over and over again uh, throughout many sites, which most, a lot of people do, uh, I can see how the 23andMe would claim there'd be no breach. However, you know, Okta is claiming the same thing. That's how they've they've been hacked. So it's it's odd that Okta is saying that they're breached and 23andMe is not, right? Because Okta, although it was not, they're not claiming it was the same way. It wasn't someone who was reusing passwords. It was someone who was using their personal Chrome profile and had Okta uh, credentials, company passwords saved in their Chrome. And so they they were, you know, hacked that way. It wasn't through an Okta uh, profile, right? And that's important to know because they say that all users were affected, but you have to look into how it affected your, your own company. Not everyone has contacted Okta support and been you know, hacked per se. It's usually IT people and cybersecurity people. So that's a huge yeah. difference. 23 and me, that's, you know, that's half their user base that's yeah. been compromised. So I would they are, they are trying to be very careful how they word it, right? They did say they do, do not have indication, which right. basically would mean that they have been breached. Um, but they didn't but knew it. They have no indication, so meaning that they are unaware of it, which <laughs> goes back to Carlos' point as well. You know, maybe they just trying to claim that they don't know that the breach happened, which again doesn't promote the trust in a company as such. Exactly, and as we just talked about, you know, these are huge companies. Like, like if if Okta should first of all, you know, I would expect them to have a super robust <laughs> red team, but whatever. Twenty three in me, I would expect the same thing. Even even though you're not a technology company per se, you are, right? And this this is the I think some of the most valuable data from someone that could be stolen. Your health, the amount of questions that they asked that are severely personal and informative yeah. is very concerning, especially with the way that AI is going. What if someone uses that database from the 
the breach. We will need to uh, ask ChatGPT about <laughs> about this. Maybe they will ask you <laughs> some questions and give you some like, hey, you know what? Yeah, your dad used to be this or that. Like, okay. <laughs> what what like, might know? What do you know? <laughs> oh, no. I might even throw in a joke about it. <laughs> I will start joking about it. Like, like, you, uh, do you know that you're related to your girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, you're second cousins. <laughs> Brave statement for someone who, who might have diabetes soon. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> that, that's the weird and personality of Grok, right? Yeah. <laughs> Touching on a on a lighter but security related topic as well. Why don't we talk about the remote work? And we saw a rem global remote work index. Um, so research concluded by our friends at NordLayer, and it's an interesting topic. I think nowadays, especially post COVID and everything else, everyone works remotely a lot more. Even all three of us here now, we actually sitting from home office, right? So we have a capability to work from home, and of course in Many of the countries in the world now, apart from a few selected countries, we are entering a cold season, right? Um, a winter. And uh, obviously that will work remote in work index itself. It outlines the best countries from security perspective, for instance, and internet availability and so on. That would be easier to work remotely. So where do we have a countries that we would uh, ideally work remote, remotely from? Lithuania, so I can be with more security. <laughs> <laughs> interestingly enough, interestingly enough, uh, that from remote uh, work index itself. So Lithuania ranks in top three in terms of cyber safety. So it, you'd be very secure and probably would be, well, one of the three safest countries according to the uh, index itself to work from. So you'd be like, you'd be very cold, <laughs> but at least you'd be safe. <laughs> I would be cold and secure. Whereas in San Diego currently, I am warm and insecure. <laughs> <laughs> well, still, the U.S. was also very highly ranked because it, they take a, a lot of different ways to, to measure this. As far as I saw, for example, yeah, cybersecurity is one of it, but also infrastructure. You need to have a, a decent speed in order to be uh, internet speed to be working remotely, and mm -hmm. also physical security as well. And on top of that, for example, there's something that you need to also take into account if you're working remotely, uh, touristic attractions, like how touristic this place is. So, yeah. for example, Mexico is, is rated uh, very highly on touristic side of things, but on both infrastructure and security, it's not that good. It's great food for thought, right? Because we all travel a lot for work and work remotely as well. And maybe this adds a couple extra points to consider when we're actually considering certain remote locations to work from. It's not just the how how would you how much would you like to work from there, how warm it gets, how how good the weather is. Uh, and that goes beyond just how wi how strong the Wi-Fi is, right? It, it goes into infrastructure availability, security itself. Because probably my destination would be um actually probably Vietnam. I would just oh, yeah. love to spend a few months, a few months in Vietnam, which is beautiful, right? And in my mind, uh, it seems like, well, Wi-Fi is the most important thing is when you work remotely, but it goes beyond that. So as you said, Carlos. Vietnamese yeah. food is amazing. <laughs> yeah, because one thing is having Wi-Fi, which most likely everywhere you can get Wi-Fi. But for example, if this Wi-Fi is being provided by copper line instead of a, a fiber optic, 
then it's going to be extremely slow anyway, even if you have Wi-Fi. So you need to also take that into account. And something that also it's need, it's very important to have into into mind is that uh, cybersecurity you own that. So you need to use a VPN connection. You need to be aware of your surroundings that no one is like snooping around you, and you you will be fine. But physical security is something that you need to also take into account. Like you are in a coffee, you are writing something, you turn around to get your coffee, turn back, and your laptop is not there anymore. So. <laughs> That's something that you also need to be aware of. Well, interestingly enough, uh, the number one country, according to the index itself, came up to be Denmark. And I personally love Denmark. I wouldn't mind spending time in Copenhagen, more time in Copenhagen and, and enjoying the pastries and good coffee there as well and just working remotely. But I'm not sure if I'd survive the winter there. <laughs> so, Carlos, what's the top country for you that you would like to work remotely from? Well. I'm originally from Mexico, but that's not my top one, to be honest. I would prefer to be working from Bali. <laughs> that will be yes. very nice. <laughs> yeah, I know for a fact that uh, they have good infrastructure. We had some colleagues working from there a couple of months ago. So yeah, we were joining meetings all together and there was no issues on that side. And it's fairly safe and there's a lot of touristic uh, attractions uh, going around. So yeah, I think it's quite a good destination. Great stuff, Carlos. Well, we all picked our country, so to our watchers and, and listeners. So next time you want to pick a new country to work remotely from, make sure you go and check out Global Remote Work Index and pick the country that is going to be secure, provide great infrastructure, and also you're going to enjoy um, the tourist attractions there as well. It might even be Denmark, you never know. So that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and watching. And of course, feel free to comment, um, drop your notes or any questions you might have so we can cover on the next episode. See you then. Bye.